I heard that hoop out on me. I tell you. Thank you. You know, there's a difference between music that's good, well-produced, and music that's infused with God's Spirit. And I think... We start at 8.15 in the morning praying with the watchman, just asking God's Spirit to fall. Because even if someone comes in here who's not a believer, we want that person to say, I don't know what it is, but there was some kind of presence heavy in that room. So pray with us, pray with us that God would do His work. It's not enough to just orchestrate things humanly. We want God to do something supernatural in our midst. We return to our series, Cries from the Cross, and it's focusing on the seven things that Jesus said as he hung suspended above the earth there on Calvary. Today we focus on the compassion of Jesus as he died on that Roman cross. And, you know, if you think about someone about to die, you, would, you could understand if they became a little self-focused at that moment, couldn't you? You know, worried about, well, I'm about to die, I'm in pain. But not Jesus. Hanging on that cross, suffering abandonment by his friend. His followers have turned on him. He's been abused physically and verbally. He's suffering excruciating pain. Mere hours before his death, he thought of others. We're going to look first at the background in John 19. Open your Bibles. If you... If you don't have one of these Bibles we sell, they have another supply of them. So I can give you the page numbers if you want to use this Bible. But feel free to use your own. John 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Begin at verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. Now, the reason that it specifies how many soldiers and all is because there, there are five pieces of clothing that Jewish men wore. And the first four were the head covering, the belt, a pair of sandals, and an outer robe, a big robe. They would sleep under it like a blanket even. They also took his robe. I think that's an unfortunate translation. I think a better translation, a more literal translation, would be either tunic or undergarment. It's a Greek word, chiton. So the fifth piece of clothing that a Jewish man wore was this, was this item that they wore next to their skin. And in this instance, Jesus' tunic, or his robe as they're calling it here, was seamless. It was woven in one piece from top to bottom, utterly consistent. It's like his character, wasn't it? So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice or literally cast lots for it. And this fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and cast lots for my clothing. This is what they did. That fulfilled a, a prophecy found in Psalms 22. Verse 18. Now this, this undergarment was usually made by a woman who then gave it to her son. 
It was a significant gift. And perhaps Jesus received this when he became a man. He reached a certain age and, you know, was fully grown. Legend confirms that Mary made this tunic for him. And so imagine Jesus impaled on this cross. These soldiers are just at his feet because they're taking his clothes and they're dividing them up. And he heard these soldiers discussing his tunic. And he glanced and he saw them touching this piece of clothing. And it made him think of the one who made it for him. And he turned his attention to her. It's like you. You've received some special gift that has sentimental value. And when you touch it, you're not focusing on the gift. You're thinking of the one who gave it to you or made it for you, presented it to you. Despite his pain, Jesus Jesus showed great compassion by providing for his mother. And you know, all these instances of Jesus' life, these examples are given for us to copy in our own lives. And you see the, the verse on the top of your outline says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. So as we begin, ask yourself this, whose burdens am I sharing in? Who do I care about other than myself? Because this morning we want to learn how to show compassion to other people, even when we're suffering. We want to show compassion like Christ. First, by the appreciation of a person. At verse 25, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister. Her name was Salome. And she was the mother of James and John. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, Joseph isn't standing there. So from that, we can assume that Joseph, the earthly father, or the legal father of Jesus on earth, has already deceased. Is already deceased. The last time that Joseph appears in the, in the Bible is when Jesus was 12 and he remained in Jerusalem when his parents left in, in the Passover. Remember, he stayed and he discussed theology with all the teachers of the law. That's the last time that Joseph is mentioned. In Luke, and it's from Luke chapter 2, begins at verse 41. So who was this woman, Mary? Well, she obviously was Jesus' mother. She delivered him as an infant. He lived with her. She cared for his needs. She nurtured him. He knew her personally, intimately. And he remembered her role in his life. He knew the story of how the angel Gabriel had announced his birth to this frightened and confused young woman. Probably not over 15 years old. And this yet, despite her youth and her fear or anxiety over the assignment, she surrendered her life for God's service, for His use. Luke 1, 26 and following. Now imagine her trying to raise this boy. All of us, if your parents, 
Aren't you ever nervous a little bit? Are you doing the right thing? Are you guiding properly? Well, imagine if you have God's son. So she must have been insecure, unsettled, even troubled as she tried to raise God's very own son appropriately. Imagine that pressure. Some of you think you're raising a very special child, but imagine this one. He knew that she faced gossip and scandal when people accused her of immorality, when they whispered about this son that she had conceived in shame. Soon after his birth, when he was not more than two years old, she had to flee for her life along with her husband and as they went into Egypt because King Herod wanted to kill him. And then after some time, they wanted to move back, and they discovered that they couldn't stay near Jerusalem because Archelaus, the son of Herod, now wanted to kill her son. Matthew 2, verse 13 and following. And then imagine, okay, she fled for her life, and she was safe. But imagine her knowing that because of this young boy that she had, By now two years old, every young boy around Bethlehem had been put to death. So imagine the grief and regret that friends of hers who had similarly aged boys had lost their child because of her son. As she watched him grow up, at times he seemed very popular and Seemed to get along well with others. Although there must have been some resentment at times for this boy that always obeyed and never lied. His siblings must have been dissatisfied with him at times. And even as he grew and started speaking, sometimes he faced fierce opposition. She remembered when people in his hometown of Nazareth were angered by his words that he in the synagogue when he read from the prophet Isaiah and he said, these words are fulfilled today in your presence. Referring to himself as Messiah. And they, and they became enraged. And they, they dragged him out of the synagogue and they planned to throw him over a cliff to his death in Luke chapter 4. She knew he had an assignment from God and so she had urged him at one point, okay, Get about your business. It's time to start your ministry. When they were attending a wedding in Cana in the region of Galilee and the family ran out of wine. And so she says, why don't you do something here? I don't know whether she thought he would miraculously create the wine or he would send somebody to buy it or take up a collection. I don't know what she had in mind, but she was pushing him. To take the lead. Step forward. And even though he miraculously produced the wine. He let her know that he no longer took direction from her. John chapter 2. Now even though he separated from her instruction. He didn't abandon her. He didn't break from her emotionally. Because if you look at that passage. After John chapter 2 verse 12. It says that following the wedding. Jesus spent several days with his mother and the family. Though again, the father's not mentioned. Must have been dead by now. She remained concerned about him throughout his adulthood. 
And she must have been concerned at night and prayed for him when he was traveling all around the country. And he was teaching and he was gaining an increasing number of followers. On one occasion, she and her other sons traveled almost 30 miles to rescue him from the oppressive crowds. They gathered around him and and they thought threatened his safety and his well-being. And he didn't even have time to eat. I remember going off to college and my mother would call me. Of course, then there was only a phone in the hall. That was 100 years ago. In the dorm and she'd say, well, are you eating well? She was just a mother like any of our mothers. She wanted to be sure he was okay and taken care of, having time to eat. On two other occasions, Mary and her sons again showed up where Jesus was speaking with people all around him. And they they said, we want to talk to him. Go get him. And sent someone in and a man came in and said, your mother and your brothers, they're outside and they want to talk to you. And rather than going, Jesus said, no, my mother and my brothers are the people who obey the word of God. So she was a mother concerned for him. At every step of his life. And here at the cross, her greatest fears are realized. Her son, who at times had been embraced and loved by the people. Now, once they saw that he wasn't going to be the Messiah because he was about to be convicted, they they turned on him. They called for his death. He was wrongfully convicted by Jewish religious leaders. And she respected these religious leaders. She thought they spoke for God. And here they were trying to put her son to death. And then she saw him abused and beaten and finally crucified by a Roman official who didn't have enough backbone to release him, even though he didn't think he was guilty. And so here she stands looking at her son. Blood dripping from his life as his very life is leaving. She must have been a very strong woman. Extremely courageous. And you know how I know that? Because it says in verse 25, she stood near the cross as her son hung dying, bleeding, suffering. You know, we would have understood it if this woman had, had even fainted or felt weak or swooned or, or, or needed to sit down. We would have understood if, if she just said, I can't go watch this. I love him too much to see this pain. And, and she didn't even arrive at Calvary. But not only did she show up, She stood right at the foot of the cross to support her dying son. Though it would have been extremely painful to her and dangerous for her to be identified as someone supporting a criminal who was suffering capital punishment. Jesus knew and he loved his mother. He appreciated her. He understood her. He respected her. He was mindful of her. Even as he neared his demise. Are we like Christ? When we have problems and pain, 
do we stop caring about anyone but ourselves? When we have troubles, where do we look? How do we focus? Most of us focus right here. And no one else matters. Is that true? No one matters but me and my problems. Not Jesus. He's living his last hours. And he's paying attention, not to himself and his suffering, to his mother. Do we notice the people around us? Just on an ordinary day. Do you know the person in the desk next to you? The people who serve nearby, who live nearby. Do you take notice of people around you? Do you see in the others the image of God? Do they matter to you? Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Acts, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 2 verse 3. Don't be selfish. Now you know we mostly use that word selfish as being stingy, not willing to share But it really means self-focused, self-centered. Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Again, I'm more concerned about myself because I care about what you think about me. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Showing compassion like Christ includes awareness of need. And that's, again, need in others. Back to John 19. At 26. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved. Again, Jesus knew his mother. He knew her personality. He knew her sense of humor. You know, as I was reflecting on this, I thought, you know, my mother is very funny. She's 85 years old. She has Parkinson's. She has COPD. She's very weak. And she's still funny. Do you know your mother like that? He knew his mother. He knew her joys. He knew her sorrows. He knew her concerns. He knew her strengths and weaknesses. He was aware of her courage. It didn't surprise him that she was standing right there. Do you realize that? He wasn't shocked. Oh, no. He knew she'd be right there. He knew her courage. He knew her strength. He was also aware of her fears. And as her eldest son, he knew her needs. Jesus knew, first off, that his mother needed a Savior to forgive her sins. He knew she was a sinner, a wonderful woman, and even a righteous woman, but not a perfect woman. She acknowledged that, in fact, in in what's called the Mary's Song, Luke chapter 1, 46 and 47. And he would provide forgiveness for her sins through his imminent death. But now realize this. At this point, he's 33 years old. 
she's less than 50. Because she was only about 15, maybe 16 by the time he came. So his mother had years to live. Now, they died earlier then, of course. But she could have lived a long time without an eldest son to provide for her. She'd have been, she would be a widow with no means of support. She knew, he knew that she needed someone to provide for her. And he knew, he recognized who would be best for that assignment. It would be the disciple he loved best. John. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane by a crowd of men armed with with clubs and swords, all of his disciples deserted him. Matthew 26. And although John fled with the other disciples, he returned. And he stood with these women, probably a little bit ashamed, don't you think? That he he slinks up and the women are already there. His own mother is there, in fact. Salome and the three Marys. And John joins them at the foot of the cross to support Jesus. Again, though it would have been Risky to be identified as a supporter of this criminal. Even in his agony, Jesus did not ignore the needs of his mother. And we're called to reflect his attitudes. To reveal and show his actions. The way he related to other people. 1 Timothy 5 gives us some insight toward the back of the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Y'all bring your Bibles, remember. We want familiarity with your Bible. You need to know it. Verse 3 on 958. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. And then drop to eight. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Do we notice the needs of other people around us? If I ask you one by one to stand up and I said, who in your circle of influence has great need? We should know that. Specifically, in in this instance, do we take care of and provide for parents or relatives in need? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Financial support. Is perhaps called for, but maybe if there's no need for financial support, what about just concern or care, emotional support, even some contact? If not, start now. That's something that pleases God. Showing compassion like Christ also includes acceptance of responsibility. Back to John 19. The latter half of 26. Jesus said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. Now the word dear is not in the Greek. 
it was added there to soften it because the word woman sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, if I drove to Augusta and I said to my mother, woman, that, she's weak, but she probably would get strong in a hurry. But, but the way Jesus said this did have a softer emphasis, and that's why the word dear is added in English. He called her woman at that wedding feast at Cana. In fact, never in the scripture, in the gospels, does Jesus address her as mother. She's identified as his mother by John, but he never addresses her as that. So what, he's not being disrespectful, but he's, he's displaying that his role as God's son superseded his role as her child. Now, when Jesus said that John was now her son, Mary understood that Jesus was preparing her for his death by selecting someone to care for her. Now, think about this. We know the story, right? So we know that in three days, he'll be raised again, right? We know that even after being raised, he will be on earth for 40 days. Before he ascends. So why did he do anything? What do you think? Doesn't make sense, does it? Here's why it makes sense. She doesn't know he's going to be raised from the dead. She doesn't understand he'll be walking on earth for 40 more days. She knows he'll be dead in hours. And he wants her to know she will survive after he's gone. See, sympathy is communicating with someone according to what they understand, not what you know. He put himself in her place. He thought her thoughts. He sympathized with her concerns. How often will we just say, ah, oh, it's going to work out? Is that what you do? Sometimes we do that, don't we? I'm not doing anything about it. It'll, you know, it'll, work, it'll work out. Mm, that's not sympathy. That's not empathy. That's not care or concern. Care and concern is getting into the mind and the emotions of the other person. Speaking to them where they stand. And Jesus could have said, look, I'm going to take care. It'll all work out, you know. And I have an important assignment. I'm about to die, for goodness sakes. How could you want more from me? I don't have time to take care of this widowed woman. Somebody else will take care of her. How often have we acted like that? It's not my responsibility. I can't do everything. No, but we usually say that when we intend to do nothing. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus, you see, was fully human. He obeyed every part of the law. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. Nowhere in that passage does it say, it's okay to ignore her if you think somebody else will step in and do something. Honor your father And mother. You know, how much of the... He didn't have the New Testament, obviously. 
But how much of the scripture do you think Jesus exempted himself from? How much? You believe that? None? But he was God. Wasn't he above it? No. The word was true, given by God, so God the Son followed every part. Is that how we approach the Bible? Or do you read something and you go, oh, okay, somebody ought to do that. That's not me. Is that how you approach it? Oh, that, I mean, come on, I'm, I'm not, I mean, somebody will do that. How many of us live that way? We see it. It's not talking to me. How much of this Bible is speaking to you? Do you really believe that? You don't believe that, do you? Now, be careful saying that. Because I might ask you to prove it. We ought to just live all in this Bible. You know what I'm saying? That's really why I'm not for the, the electronic Bible. I think you need something you can put your hands on. You know, you can rub, your, rub it on your head, you know. <laughs> Climb all in it. Where's my wife? I hope she's not in there because I'm about to say something she might not like. I told him, I told him this story in the first one, but uh, I said, don't tell my wife. My wife has a big old Bible, and she's not a big old woman. She's a little woman with a big Bible. And once she falls asleep, she's gone like a rock. And she likes to read that Bible in the bed. But sometimes I, I go in there, you know, and my wife is asleep in that Bible. Or that, it's all, you know, she's all, it's all up in there. She's all in it, and it's all over. And I'm saying, I need to take a picture of that and post that on Sunday because that is a perfect illustration of living in the Word. <laughs> Don't let the Word pass from you. Go ahead and climb in it. Lay all in it. You know, get your hair all in You know, get your glasses stuck on your head even. But we, <laughs> you like it? But we ought to be living that way in this Word. We ought to live inside of it. Don't ex- accept ourselves from it exempt ourselves from it. There's not a word in here that doesn't apply to you. Jesus didn't think there was anything in it that didn't apply to him. He could have easily said, I'm above this. Somebody else needs to take care of this. It's not the example he gave. And that example he gave is for us. He honored his mother by choosing the man he knew would love and care for her best. In an instant, he chose the most loving man among his group. This was the disciple Jesus loved. He was the one that when they were having the Lord's Supper, he leaned on Jesus. He was a, he was a gentle, gentle, affectionate sort of man. He loved Jesus deeply and he was courageously loyal to him. He's the only disciple that showed back up. And Jesus knew that John's love for him would be transferred to Jesus' mother. And he would show her loyalty and love and kindness. And remember, he had a mother there, but he also has a brother who can take care of their mother. We say, but didn't Jesus have some other brothers? He did. He had four, at least four brothers. James, Joseph, or Joseph. Simon and Judas, four named brothers, Matthew 13, 
55. He had at least two sisters, by the way. So there were at least seven in the family. Well, why didn't he just say, I got brothers, they'll step in when I'm gone. For one thing, his brothers weren't in Jerusalem. They were still up north, about 70 miles away in the northern region of Galilee. Well, why weren't they there? They didn't believe he was the Messiah. None of his brothers believed he was the Messiah. They lived too close to him. Prophet doesn't have honor in his own hometown with his own people, remember. John 7, 5 says they didn't believe. Now, after the resurrection, someone sent word and they came. And they were with the early believers at Pentecost. And by then they believed. And his brother James became the leader of the Jerusalem church. Acts 1.14. Jesus accepted his responsibility as the eldest son of a Jewish family to provide for the well-being of his mother. Are we accepting the responsibility for people in need? Are we accepting the responsibility for people in need? I've said this before. The reason the government's all up in our business is because we left it to them to do it. Some of y'all are stomping about social programs and this and that. Okay, well, how much did you put into it before? You see my point? Well, I'm mad my, my person didn't win the election. I'm, I'm, I'm mad. Let me tell you this. There's no Republican going to solve the problems of this country. But lest you get all uppity, neither will a Democrat. But what are we looking to them for to solve our problems? You know, for there to be justice and righteousness in the land, you know who it was up to? Who was it up to? It was up to us. When's the last time you spoke out against injustice? When's the last time you acted righteously and compelled someone else to act righteously and compassionately? And yet we just wash our hands and well, that's the good. No, that's our responsibility. We are, the, we are the city on the hill. We're the light in a dark culture. It's up to us. But don't, don't clap unless you're going to do something about it. See, what I'm saying is the next time you spot injustice, you don't slink away. You speak. You see my point? We got where we got because we didn't do anything. Are you accepting responsibility for people in need? I'm talking about you individually and personally. Who are you looking out for besides yourself? That's, isn't that what it says? Or am I misreading it? James chapter 1 verse 27. Toward the back of the, back of the New Testament. Pure and genuine 
religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you, which one evidence of that corruption is self-centeredness. I keep everything I make for me. You know, I think God is pleased with our church. I think what we're doing in India is good. This church gives away 30% of what it collects for either missions or benevolence, which is a great number, but it ought to be even higher. I don't really, I don't understand a church investing in itself. I don't even understand planting a lot of Brookwoods all over the place. There's, that's a waste of money in an over-evangelized southeast. But what are we doing with our money? What are we, where are we investing? Are we making a difference? You know, I know 1,500 children whose lives are different because of us, but I know there's also a, a hundred more quarries in India where kids are still enslaved. What are we doing? Here's the other thing. We're, we've built one building. You can see pictures of it. The other building is being, has begun to house these kids that we have now. Of course, we, we had 500. Then by the time I went, we had 8. Then it jumped to 1,000, then 12. Now it's about 15. And by the time the building, Praveen will have them. He'll have them strung up in there somewhere. He already lays them. They lay on the floor on mats, head to head, foot to foot, all the way across the floor. Well, don't they have bunks? No way. Every square foot is filled. We can feel good about that. But you know what? We haven't made an impact in this community yet that's commensurate with the number of people that's in this building. We're praying about it. We're fasting. Mike Heppel is looking into it. But don't y'all think it would be a shame for a church this big to not make an undeniable, irrefutable impact on this community. We don't know what, it, what shape it will take yet. But we don't have an excuse not to do something. Because let me say this. I love Sundays, and what we do on Sunday is enjoyable, and it has a lot of merit. I don't think God is just asking it, will ask us, did you have good services? I think he'll ask did you serve well? Showing compassion like Christ also includes an appropriate response. Verse 27. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. How long did he take to think about it? How long? He didn't even think about it, did he? How long does it take us to decide to be generous? We had to go sleep on it, think about it. Maybe, maybe some, let me leave room for somebody else to do it first. Right then. God shows you something, jump. Well, I may not do just the right thing. Who cares? Some of us are so worried that that dollar we give a guy, he might spend on a can of beer that we won't give anything. I'm not sure if it's more we're trying to come up with a reason to be selfish and stingy or that we're really concerned. 
You see what I'm saying? What's God showing you? You know, it was appropriate that John should be given the privilege of caring for Mary. Because he understood what love for Christ meant better than all the other apostles. And we see he acted immediately. He didn't say, but wait, I got a mother right here. Did he? He didn't, uh uh-uh. He said, I'm on it. I'm on it. Now, three days later, early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene goes down to the sepulcher of the tomb, and it's empty, and she's in distress. She thinks somebody's stolen the body, and she runs and tells Peter and John, and they ran to the tomb themselves. Now, John is faster than Peter, but I don't think he's as courageous because he stops at the door and looks in. Peter just bolts right in, and he notices The grave clothes are all folded up neat. And he realizes, was it by revelation? Was it by what he saw? I don't know. Or some combination. That nobody carried his body out of here. He's raised from the dead. He said he was going to do this. And then John looked in and he came in then. And he believed. But that was the first instance when he understood and believed Jesus would be raised from the dead. Well, if you look at that passage at John 20, at verse 10, it says, Then they both went home. What did John do? Who's back at John's house? Who was back at John's house? He went running home. He said, Mary, your son is alive. Wouldn't you like to bear that message? Choosing John was an appropriate action by Jesus to meet his mother's needs. The question for us is, are we taking appropriate practical actions to solve problems in our community? Are you taking appropriate practical steps To influence the situation. Not that God gave the church. The one he showed you. Individually. Are we willing to show costly. Time consuming. Inconvenient compassion. To people in need in our culture. Widows need someone else's son to care for them. To fix their porches that are rotting off. Single mothers need surrogate fathers to help give a masculine influence to their children. Orphans in our community need foster parents who have safe, secure Christian homes that will nurture them. And nurture them not only physically, but nurture them in the faith. Orphans abroad need protection and food and clothing and shelter and education. And our own parents still need our interest, our concern, our attention, sometimes even our support. I open with this verse on top of your outline. Share each other's burdens. Are you ready to do that? I want to see some hands. Who's willing to share the burdens of somebody besides themselves? 
Put them up high. You got to put them up high. Because I may have to call some names. But don't do it just for fear I'll call your name. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Soul training this week. Ask God to show you whom you should be showing compassion. You might ask him right now. He might give you a picture right now. And then respond appropriately and immediately. Baptism today, 4 o'clock, South Campus. Be there. Father, God help us to stop being so selfish. And so concerned about what others think. And help us to focus only on what you think about us. Show us the needs that are before us. And God, compel us with a sacrificial spirit to be generous with our time, our money, our lives, and especially with our faith. In your blessed son's name we pray. Amen. Counselors are here at the front to talk with you or pray with you.